We'll be in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus, the second book of the Bible, chapter 12. As we read in the New Testament, one of the things that John the Baptist does is he calls Jesus the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. For us as Christians, we've already noted this is a very familiar phrase. We've heard it our whole time in church, even from an infant, from a young person. I told these children that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Like, like them, maybe you've heard this phrase your whole life. But when John the Baptist said it, it was the very first time recorded in the Gospels that Jesus was called, the Messiah was called, the Lamb of God. It's a, a title that's full of rich meaning and value, and we're going to talk about that. Um, even in the book of the Revelation, John sees Jesus being called over and over and over again. The Lamb of God, in Revelation 13, verse 8, He's the Lamb of God, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The apostles pick up on this as well after Christ's death and resurrection. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, calls Jesus our Passover Lamb who has been sacrificed. So Paul makes a direct connection between the Passover and Jesus and the sacrifice that's involved. That's why I believe it's important for us to understand Exodus chapter 12, which is where Christ is displayed in the Old Testament. The Gospel is displayed in the Old Testament through the Passover. And Exodus 12 describes the Passover, the tenth plague that God is bringing on Egypt. The tenth plague before He brings His people out of slavery involved the Passover. And this was an event that's to be celebrated year after year after year. Jews still celebrate the Passover, this event. The Exodus was the pivotal event in all of the history of the Hebrew people. The Exodus from Egypt. The, the central event was the Exodus. And the central event of the Exodus was the Passover. All of their hopes rested on God doing what He said He would do on the night of the Passover. Uh, in that light, let us turn to Exodus chapter 12 as we hear the good news proclaimed through this particular feast. It's a long passage. Please remain seated, but hear the inspired Word of God from Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of their houses, in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. 
Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you by the destroyer when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. And to verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of your out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not, not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we know that although the grass withers and the flower fades, that your word will stand forever. We pray that your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom to understand your word, that our hearts would be convicted and changed, that we would embrace Jesus Christ as we see him in this particular narrative, that we would see Christ, we would see the gospel, and our hearts would embrace it. Lord, open our eyes. We're a people who who need your help if we're to understand this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is our Passover lamb. As Paul has said, Jesus is our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. I'm going to make four points uh, this morning that we'll see in this particular text. First, we'll see that all are guilty. All are guilty. By the way, there's children's bulletins in the back if you're taking notes, um, and you, you're a child, and it should help you follow along. All are guilty. Secondly, the lamb, the lamb must be spotless. 
must be spotless. Thirdly, the lamb must be slain. And fourthly, the blood must be applied. We've just read the narrative. We know these things are true, but they represent much more than just a lamb in Israel 2,000 years ago. All are guilty. Why do I say that? With all of the other plagues, all of the previous nine plagues that came before this, the Israelites, if you remember, are basically bystanders. They're just watching. They're watching what happens. They're actually not being affected themselves. But here we see that the destroyer would actually come to their houses as well if they didn't obey what God had told them. To every house in Egypt. The firstborn of every house was subject to the destroyer. Verse 12, we read it. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt. All of the firstborn. Both man and beast. And on the gods, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. You remember the previous nine plagues had all basically defeated one of the supposed deities in Egypt. Every one of them represented a god in Egypt, and every one of them God absolutely destroyed that god, so to speak. But why now the firstborn in Egypt? Why? both man and beast. Why this judgment on Egypt? Well, don't forget that in Exodus chapter 1, 80 years before this, Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to a Hebrew, Hebrew you shall, what? Kill. Cast into the Nile. But you shall let every daughter live. We're not told how long this command remained in effect. It could still be in effect at this reading. In Exodus 12, we just don't know. But the fact remains that the Israelite children were subject to death in Egypt. And vengeance belongs to the Lord. And God seemed to take it very personally. In Exodus 4, God tells Moses, You shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. God is doing exactly what He told Pharaoh He was going to do. But why include the Israelites in this last plague? Why are the Israelites subject also to, to the destroyer? Well, we know that what the children also recognized, we're all sinners. All of the Israelites were also guilty of offending the holy God. That's why they were subject to this plague. And unless they followed the Lord's instructions perfectly, they also would not be spared. Actually, no one would be spared who wasn't under the blood of the Lamb. And this is the first point of the Gospel, isn't it? That nobody who has ever lived stands guiltless before God. All of us have sinned. Jews, Gentiles. In Romans 3 we read, are we Jews any better off? This is Paul talking. 
No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does any good, not even one. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This was true in the days of Adam. This was true in the days of the Israelites, and it's true today, and it will be until the end. All mankind... All mankind, from the very beginning, deserve to have the destroyer visit their house. That's what we deserve. Nobody's saved because of their goodness. Nobody's saved because of their family. Nobody's saved because of their intelligence or their status or wealth. Or even their good things, their church attendance or their Bible reading. Those things don't save anybody. Even knowing the gospel and believing that the facts of the gospel are true saves nobody. The demons believe that Anyone who puts faith in Christ will be saved. They know the facts. They still hate God. Nobody's saved because of their parents either. Well, my parents are Christians. I'm pretty good with God. God has no grandchildren. God only has sons and daughters. We should all be visited by the destroyer. We're all under the sentence. But... But God has provided an escape from His wrath. And it's seen here in this passage. It's the blood of the Lamb. Verse 13, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Or hover over you. We'll discuss that more in a moment. And no plague will befall you by the destroyer when I strike the land of Egypt. When God comes to strike the land, they had to be under the blood. Are you under the blood? Are you under the blood of the Lamb? No wonder John said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew that this was true. Let's talk about this Lamb. The second point. This is a special Lamb. This Lamb must be spotless. Your lamb must be without blemish. A male, one year old. Well, this isn't the best illustration, but it's on my mind recently. We're taking a couple cows to be slaughtered. We want to eat the meat. We didn't choose the, the little crummy ones. We chose the best cows we could find. We want the very best meat in our refrigerator, in our freezer. It's mostly my belly speaking. The lambs, similarly, had to be without blemish. They were to choose the best lambs without any defect whatsoever. And it had to be chosen out of the flock for each family. And if it had a blemish, it would not be accepted. It must be perfect. In Deuteronomy 15 Moses tells the Israelites what this kind of lamb looks like. If it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish whatsoever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. So the duty of every head of household was to go and out to the flock or go to a neighbor's flock and acquire a lamb, get a lamb, and it had to be a spotless, perfect lamb. Well, we see the correlation immediately when we note that Jesus was perfect. 
In Hebrews 4, we read that he was without sin. In 1 Peter 1, Peter says, Conduct yourselves with fear through the time of your exile. Again, he's alluding to the time of the exile. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, ransomed from Egypt, in a sense, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The apostles understand that the Passover lamb points straight to Christ. John was right. John the Baptist who said, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. He was the perfect Lamb. But just choosing a Lamb wasn't good enough. Imagine imagine an Israelite family goes out and the father goes out and he picks out his very best Lamb, a year old. This is, this is a Lamb that's about to enter the prime of its life. I've never owned a Lamb, but a year old Lamb... This is about perfect. And then they set this lamb aside as directed. Remember, it had to be picked out on the 10th day. And then on the 14th day, that's when it was sacrificed. So what do you do with this lamb who has to be perfect? What would you do? I know what I would do. I would bring this lamb into my home. All of my family's safety depends on the perfection of this lamb as much as it weighs on me, and I would bring this lamb into my home, and I would put it right next to my bed, and I would care for this lamb for four days to the best of my ability. So let's say the kids fall in love with this lamb. I mean, that seems reasonable. If you ever have had a pet in your home, if you've ever cared for a, a young animal of any kind, you know these young animals worm their way into your heart. Let's say they've chosen the lamb, but on the Passover night, the the firstborn son says, Daddy, I actually love this lamb. Don't want to kill the lamb. So they keep it safe in the house. They don't kill the lamb. They keep it by their beds. They've disobeyed God, and the firstborn son would die. Just having a perfect lamb... Just knowing how to be saved from the destroyer can't satisfy divine wrath. There must be the shedding of blood. There must be obedience to God. The spotless lamb must be killed. Christ couldn't just come and live a perfect life and then ascend into heaven. He had to be that perfect lamb, that sacrifice. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world must be slain. And that's the third point. The lamb must be slain. And roasted. The lamb must be slain and roasted whole. Verse 6. The congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Verse 21 as well. Then Moses called the elders and said, Go select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. So at twilight, the Passover lamb was sacrificed. Each father had gone out to choose a lamb on the 10th day and then killed it on the 14th day at twilight. They had to kill the lamb. And then they had to roast the lamb. Well, it's speculated and almost 
certainly correct that you roast a lamb on a spit. You put a, a pole right through it and you spin it and roast it over a fire. And God was very clear. After killing the lamb and roasting the lamb, you couldn't eat it raw. You couldn't boil it in water. Verse 9, it had to be roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. So you might think, what is the point of this? You need to remember that there's not a single wasted word in all of Scripture. Every jot and tittle is inspired by God. And there's an important aspect of this particular ceremony and of this Passover that is applicable for today's message. It might make you wonder though, why not boil the lamb? I like boiled meat sometimes. Why not fry it? Why not fry or bake the lamb? Lamb chops with garlic? Why roast the entire lamb over the fire? It seems like God is directing this way of cooking the lamb for a reason. And indeed, I believe He is. Fire throughout the Scriptures is associated with what? Purifying and wrath. And the lamb is roasted whole on a spit. Or however they roasted it. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was put on a cross? He was put on a spit, if you will. And He endured the wrath of God. In a sense, He was roasted whole. He bore the sins of many. It was the will of the Lord to crush Him. He cried out under the wrath of God as, as the wrath of God came down upon Him. My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? And later in Psalm 22, David says, My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. He's feeling the intense heat of persecution. And he's crying out to God. Jesus was our perfect spotless Lamb. He took the wrath of God. He was killed with the Passover lambs. We read in Isaiah 53 that like a lamb is led to the slaughter and the sheep before its shears is silent, so He opened not His mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. When His soul makes an offering for guilt, out of the anguish of His soul, He shall see and be satisfied. He shall, be, he shall make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. No wonder Paul says Christ our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. This is what Christ did. And what a wonder it is, I believe, to see the Gospel in Exodus chapter 12. Jesus knew that He was perfectly fulfilling everything we read in Exodus 12. He knew that was about Him. I can always imagine when I see these Perfect connections between Old and New Testament. And they're everywhere. That is, Jesus was walking along the road to Emmaus with those two disciples and He opened the Word of God to them. And He showed to them everything that was written in the prophets and the Psalms and Moses, the law, about Himself. He must have come to Exodus 12 and just said, that's me. I'm the Passover Lamb. Also, just a, another connecting point 
The tenth day of the month was where you were supposed to select the lamb, wasn't it? The tenth day. And then on the fourteenth day, that's the day that you were to sacrifice the lamb. Do you know what day Jesus entered Jerusalem, the triumphal entry? The tenth day. And all the people exclaimed, Glory to God. Hosanna in the highest. They selected. In a sense, they selected their lamb. And as the Jews celebrated the Passover, the true Passover lamb was being roasted on a spit over the fire of God's wrath. And He died that day for our justification. But let's back up to to Exodus 12 one more time. Suppose that a family in Egypt chose the lamb they brought him home for four days. They took care of this lamb. And over the, the objections of the family, the father killed that lamb. But they never put the blood over the doorposts of the house. What would happen to them? Apparently, they would also face the destroyer. They had to apply the blood. And they had to stay in the house. The blood of the lamb had to be applied. The Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world has to be applied to our hearts. The blood must be applied. This is the fourth and last point. Verse 22, Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. It's hard for me to, again, talk about cooking, which is something I like to do. And now we see God seemingly in this ceremony, talking about decorating. And he's decorating the doors of the house with blood. My wife likes to decorate. She likes to change things around. Oh, what's that doing there? Oh, I thought it looked pretty. Okay. Can you imagine if I took some blood and just put it on the outside of our our door frame? It wouldn't look too good. It wasn't meant to look good. Brother and sister, the doors had to be coated in blood. The destroyer was coming. All the people were guilty. Not a single person in all of of Egypt was free from the necessity of the blood. The destroyer was on the way. And I'm going to spend just a few minutes looking with you at verse 23. If If you're not open, look at verse 23 together. This is one of the, the Scriptures we spent, I think, two weeks talking about my Hebrew class uh, many years ago in seminary, and it was just so special. For the Lord, that's Yahweh, will pass through. The NIV, I think, is the most clear. It's will go, because this is a separate word. It's not the same word as pass over or pass through. It's a whole separate word. It just means go. Will go through to strike the Egyptians. The Lord will go through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, the Lord, Yahweh, will pass over or hover over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So I want to talk about two things. First, the word pass that's translated pass over. And secondly, the destroyer. Who is this person? Well, pass over is... Famously, among Hebrew uh, scholars, it's a word that doesn't translate. We don't exactly know what it means. There are other Hebrew words that actually mean to pass by. Actually, one is used right here in verse 23. 
to go through or to pass through or to go over. The Lord will go through. But these, these scholars don't exactly know how to translate the Hebrew word pasa, which is most usually translated Passover. But it certainly means something more than Passover. That's, that's what happened. If you'd open your Bibles to Isaiah 31, this is one of the other places. It's not used very much at all. But in Isaiah chapter 31, we see one of the other places that actually causes many Hebrew scholars to think that Passover is actually more like a, a hovering over, a hovering, a protecting hovering. This is a, one of Isaiah's prophecies to those who would trust in Egypt. And he says that in verse 5 of Isaiah 31, like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect them. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. This verse is translated in the ES, or sorry, in the NIV. He will pass over and rescue it because that last verb is pasa. The King James says, passing over, he will preserve it. The ESV is, is struggling with the translation. Again, these are all good translations. I'm not knocking any of them. It's, it's just a hard word to translate. But I just want to give you a sense of the word. It's not just to pass by something. That's the point. It's more of a sense of protecting. It's a hovering and protecting over something. Which brings us to the next point. Look at who is doing the destroying. Who's doing the passing by? Who's doing the, the passing over? Verse 12, I will go through the land. I will strike the land of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. This is the Lord talking. This is Yahweh. I, I, I. I will do this. Yahweh is the one striking the firstborn. Yahweh is the one who is executing judgments. And in verse 29 we read, at midnight, the Lord struck down. Yahweh did this. That's why in many of your Bibles, the word destroyer is capitalized. Because Yahweh is the destroyer. This isn't Satan. It's not some demon. The Lord's destroyer. It's either an angel or it's someone so closely related to the Godhead that God could say, I do this. And in, in the Scriptures, it says He is the one striking the firstborn. He is the one executing judgment. He is the one doing it. So if He is the one executing and He's also the one passing by, if He's the one hovering and protecting His people, and He's also the one executing the judgment, you can see that the Godhead is involved in both. I don't want to stretch the, the the I don't want to stretch it too far, but the Godhead is involved in both protecting and executing judgment. And in the gospel, what do we see? The Godhead involved in protecting, and the Godhead involved in judgment. The gospel can't be more clearly portrayed than it is in Exodus twelve. 
all the guilty face the wrath of Almighty God. His destroyer came. And for us, His destroyer is coming. But a lot of us are very uncomfortable with this idea of wrath, of God coming to destroy. The wrath of God is a difficult thing for really all of us. Why is the idea of wrath so abhorrent to many modern churchmen? I think it always has been. A.W. Pink notes that there are more references to God's anger and wrath and judgment in the Scriptures than to His love and tenderness. But that's where we wanted to go. That's what we always want to talk about. And rightly so. He's good and gracious to those who love Him. Yes, amen. But to the proud and selfish and insolent and wicked, He has nothing but wrath. And I hear the objection from some people. Well, I thought that was the Old Testament God. He's the God of wrath. The New Testament God is the God of love. Well, indeed, the Old Testament does show God's wrath often throughout. Nahum chapter 1 says that God is full of indignation and anger and wrath, and it's poured out like fire against His enemies. That's just one place of maybe a hundred in the Old Testament where we see God's wrath being poured out against those who hate Him. But this is the same God. He doesn't change. He's not a New Testament God and an Old Testament God. It's one God. Listen to how Paul describes Jesus in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7. The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels when He comes. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. So we just need to understand that wrath is an attribute of God. It is. Somehow, it's seen as being beneath God, as unworthy of His holy name. And why do we think this? Because we think His wrath is somehow like ours. Because when we are angry or have wrath, we are often sinning greatly. God is not like that. That's the misunderstanding. The destroyer was perfectly righteous and just to destroy the firstborn in Egypt. They had rejected God or failed to obey the gospel, as Paul said. It was right and just. Packer says God's wrath in the Bible is never capricious. It's never self-indulgent or irritable or morally ignoble like human anger. Instead, it's a right and necessary reaction to subjective moral evil. God will be just. And when, when He reacts to evil, that is the holy righteous response. His wrath is always perfectly measured. In Luke 12, Jesus says some are going to be punished with few blows and some are going to be punished with many blows. Why? Because we've all sinned differently. Of course, under Christ, we're not going to be punished. But even those who face wrath, it's going to be perfect, perfectly measured. We also see that God's wrath is perfectly judicial because He's perfectly just and righteous. The wrath of God, Romans 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Romans 2, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself. 
on the day of the wrath of God, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed, it's a righteous judgment. It's a righteous wrath. And it's perfect. It's perfectly righteous and just. So, think of this. If God ignored evil, would He really be righteous? If He ignored evil or just said, forget it, would He really be righteous? He wouldn't be a moral God. He would be unrighteous. And for those still uncomfortable with God as destroyer, the highest revelation of God's wrath on earth isn't the flood which destroyed the whole world. That's not the highest revelation of God's wrath. It's not the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah or even the destruction of the firstborn by the destroyer. God's wrath is most clearly seen, most brutally applied, most painfully felt by Christ on the cross. He bore the full wrath of God that was due to us. An infinite measure of wrath was poured out upon Him. So we can say that we will be saved by His blood from the wrath of God. That's the word propitiation when you read that in the Bible. Propitiation. Is God saving you from wrath? That's what Christ was. How are we saved by the wrath from the wrath of God? Well, what did the, the Israelites have to do with the blood? They had to put it over the doorposts. They had to decorate their house with the blood. The doors of their houses. They had to apply the blood. We also are only saved by applying the blood of Christ to our hearts by faith. Hebrews 10, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. You can't just know the truth. You have to apply the blood personally. Yes, you need to understand how horrible your sin is and what a revulsion sin is to a holy God. Then you need to see yourself as fully deserving to have the destroyer come and visit. And then realizing that the Father sacrificed His only Son, the perfect Lamb of God, instead of you, the firstborn who deserved destruction. I want to conclude by just reading Hebrews 9 and speak for just a moment about Hebrews 9, 12 through 14. Talking of Jesus. With His own blood, not the blood of goats or calves, He entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Amen. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from the sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered Himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. In that last sentence, look at the entire Trinity, the triune God. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered Himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. 
The triune God made a way for us to be saved from the wrath of God. We all need to run to the Lamb. You know, the Lord's Supper is really the New Covenant Passover meal. We partake of the Lord's Supper twice a month. Just as the Old Covenant Passover meal pointed to the death of the Lamb and the freedom from slavery, the freedom from the wrath of the destroyer, so the New Covenant meal points to Jesus' death and the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was pure and spotless, chosen in the prime of His life, 33 years old. He walked forward to death. He was put on a cross. He died without a single bone of His body being broken. He was roasted whole. His blood being spilled for His people. And all who apply this blood by faith will be Spared from the destroyer. A.W. Pink notice, notes that the progression of the lamb in Exodus 12 is very, very peculiar. In verse 3 it says, take a lamb. Take a lamb. Verse 4, take the lamb. Verse 5, take your lamb. The lamb who would be killed goes from being a generic lamb in the instructions given to the people to your lamb. Jesus was not just a generic sacrifice for everyone who's ever lived in the universe. He was your perfect sacrifice personally. You personally must place yourself under the blood of the Lamb. And if you rebel against this, if you ignore this call, is to face the destroyer and you deserve complete destruction. But God has sent His own Son as a spotless Lamb. And someday He will return in glory as a lion. And gather everyone to Himself who has put faith in Him, who has applied the blood of the Lamb to themselves. And then we're all going to gather around His throne as we read in Revelation with all the living creatures and all the elders and the myriads of myriads of angels. And we're going to cry out, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And we're going to hear every creature say to Him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. May we all strive to be in that number. Let us pray. Thank You, Lord, for giving us Your Word. Thank You that every part of Your Word is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training us in righteousness so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work that You've given us. We pray that this Word, that the Exodus and the sacrifice of the Passover Lamb, that this would resonate within our own souls and encourage us to embrace the Lamb who was slain. It was our perfect, spotless sacrifice. Pray that there would be none in this room or in the sound of my voice who would face the destroyer by their own pride, their own ignorance, their own selfishness. But may You humble every heart 
to embrace the Lamb that was slain. Do your work, Holy Spirit, we pray, and be glorified.